Good morning. I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. three. Philippians, let's try chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at 19 through 26. Talking about magnifying Christ. My name is Brad Evans. If I haven't met you, I'm a pastor of family ministries, pastoral care. And uh, one of the things I do that I love to do is uh, men's ministry. And we had a great men's retreat last weekend, didn't we, guys? For those of you who went, yeah, that's right. And I promised you, wives, that uh, we would bring you back some uh, new and improved and better husbands. And I hope uh, that's... Uh, uh, we've, have they done okay? Did they remember yesterday? Did they remember? Valent? Okay, we still got a little work to do, sounds like. And uh, I talked to one wife this week. In fact, I see her sitting here, so I'm not going to point her out. And I said, you make sure that your husband does something special for you on Valentine's Day. And she said, oh, I'm so over Valentine's Day. And what I realized was she's pretty much got him trained that Valentine's is to be an ongoing thing. That's a good thing, right, guys? Valentine's, it's a year-round deal where we love our wives well and we honor and respect them. And uh, speaking of wives, my wife Susan is here, if you haven't met her, and our daughter Rachel. Um, she's embarrassed. She's going to kill me later. She's in eighth grade. And uh, then we have a, yep, then we have a, um, a son who's in second grade. He's eight, and I don't know where he is. He's probably on the roof, or uh, maybe, <laughs> hopefully he's back in the children's wing in Sunday school. So that's Andrew. But We're really glad to be with you uh, today. I'm sorry for the circumstances, Blake, but uh, glad to be able to share with you. Magnifying Christ, what does that mean? We're going to be looking at a section of Scripture where Paul talks about really the bottom line. I think he gives us his purpose statement in chapter 1, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall, even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That Christ be exalted and be magnified. This is what Paul is all about. And he's challenging us this morning to be about that very thing. Wow, that's a big big topic, isn't it? Let's uh, chew on this a little bit here if I can get this going. Are any of you struggling this morning with a decision? Any of you have something on your minds? Any of you have something that is uh, you're, con- you're considering? Uh, you know, it could be... Uh, what's my major going to be in school? It could be, uh, what about my rooming situation? We need to change that. Hopefully if you're married, you're not changing that one. But uh, what is my, what's a situation that maybe you're going through where you need some direction and you need some wisdom? What's my major going to be? Should I make this purchase? Should I take this job? Should we move here? You ever get to the place where you just can't decide? You ever have something going on in your life and you're just vapor locked? That's an old auto mechanics term where the engine just kind of seizes up. Any of you there this morning? Any of you have something that you just can't figure out what's the right thing to do? Well, we're in good company. Listen to the Apostle Paul. I'm going to teach the latter half of this passage in, uh, to the, at the beginning of this message because I think he's explaining what his main topic is, and that's exalting and magnifying Christ. But in verse 21, he goes on to write, For to me, Paul's talking first person here. He's very close with this church, the Philippian church. So you're going to see him going back and forth between me and you talking to the church in Philippi. 
For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, so he's saying on one hand, if I'm to remain here on this earth, he said this will mean fruitful labor for me. So that's a good thing. Through evangelism and discipleship, the fruit will be born. That's a good thing. And I do not know which to choose. But, there's that word again, I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Do you sense the tension? Do you sense the struggle that Paul is feeling? He's saying, on one hand, I'd love to go and, and be with Christ for me to live, but to die is gain. That's, that's even better. I'm with Christ. I'm in the presence of Christ. But I also know that to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Remember, what's the context here? Where is Paul? He's in prison, probably chained to the Praetorian Guard. So... This is not a picnic for the Apostle Paul. On one hand, he'd kind of like to go and just be with Christ. Just be in the presence of Christ. And this is a great picture of what we have to look forward to as believers. who Our eternity is secure. But he's saying, on the other hand, I know you need me here. And so he says, I'm feeling this struggle. He says, I'm hard-pressed from both sides. Now that's a great... Greek phrase. He's hard pressed. It means that he's feeling pressure from both sides. He's hard pressed. Pressure is coming from both sides that is so great, he's rendered almost, almost motionless. Have you ever feel that way? It's like you, you just can't decide. You're going back and forth. What should I do? Well, we have a lot of freedom in Christ in terms of choosing, but we also want to be about the Father's business and to be seeking His will and to know what direction He's leading us in. This morning, we're not going to get the specific answer to whatever question it is you're struggling with. It's not going to say, here it is, do this. Wouldn't that be great if we had that? But we are going to get a framework to be able to make those decisions and to bring our decision under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and to submit our will to the Father's. Because we need that. So if you're here this morning and you're feeling that, and this passage is just dripping with emotion and struggle that Paul is feeling, then you're in good company. Paul felt this. You mean the Apostle Paul struggled? You mean the Apostle Paul felt such pressure he didn't know which way to go? That's right. And he's got level honest with us here this morning. He was hard pressed from both directions. I think he gives this to us as an example. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There are times in scripture that even a great man like Paul, who God used so incredibly, incredibly powerful, he's honest. And don't we need that? We need people who are honest with the struggle in the Christian life. It kind of reminds me of Romans 7 where Paul says, you know, the very thing I know I should be doing, I'm not doing. And the things I shouldn't be doing, I'm doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Can any of you relate to that? The struggle 
And sometimes we don't do the things we know we should do. And, oh, it gets frustrating. Paul says there's hope. And he's going to give us a framework how we're to live our lives even when we're, we don't have a clear direction in which way to go. Kind of reminds me of this Peanuts cartoon. You know, Lucy, she's always given this edict. She's very clear. She's very decisive. One day she looks at Charlie Brown and she says, Charlie Brown, life is like a deck chair. Some people like to unfold it and place it where they can see where they've been. Some people like to unfold the deck chair and they like to place it where they are so they can look around at their circumstances. Some people like to place the deck chair where they're going to go. So they can see the direction they're going to go. Charlie Brown just sighs and he kind of looks down and shakes his head. He said, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. (laughs) Can any of you relate to that? Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? We just need some direction. But we don't always have it in terms of knowing which way to go, which way to choose. And Paul's going to give us a great model here for walking through this process. Another thing he's going to talk to us about, Blake talked about this next week, we're in the context of suffering. Paul is struggling in prison. And last week, uh, Blake talked about the suffer, the struggle that we have, the normal Christian life. Next week, we're going to finish chapter one with Paul talking about how we're to experience the same conflicts, which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Um, I'm sorry, in verse 29. For to you it's been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. So why do we suffer? Why do we struggle? That's part of the Christian life. Uh, In my reading, my study this week, I came across a quote by John Walvert in his commentary on Philippians. I thought this was really good. Many a great Christian was molded in character in the crucible of suffering, matured in loneliness, and prepared for greater usefulness in God's hand than if untouched by the storms of life. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's how God shapes us. That's how the potter shapes the clay. Often is in the context of struggles and suffering. And we see Paul joyfully bearing up under that and giving us some lessons in dealing with the issues and struggles that come in, come in life. Again, this is no pretend passage. This is some deep water we're walking through here. To live as Christ, to die as gain, that's a heavy thought. And let's see if we can unpack that here this morning. In chapter 1, verse 18, last week we said, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. This is a hinge verse. Christ is proclaimed, present tense. And Paul is talking about no matter how the gospel is proclaimed, even if it's not always with the purest motives, I'm going to rejoice in that. I rejoice. Now he's going to shift gears. He's going to look towards the future. In verse 18, he says, And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He's looking ahead to rejoicing at at what is to come. So we see Paul looking ahead in verses 19 and following. He says, For I know, he's confident of something. I know that this, referring to his situation, his dilemma, his situation in prison, He says, I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
He talks about his deliverance. What is he speaking of here? This is an interesting word. It could be translated salvation. If you're doing a Titus study, the Titus study this semester, we're going to do a word study on the word salvation. And it's tricky sometimes to figure out how this word is being used. This word could be, it's the same word that we translate salvation. Paul is not talking about his eternal destiny here. His eternity is secured. His eternity, thankfully, is not based on someone else's prayers. He is looking, his his eternity is secure. In fact, that's how he can say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. We'll be talking about that here in just a moment. The word deliverance can also um, refer to a, a release from a crisis or a situation. Paul may have this in mind as he's thinking about through your prayers and the provision of spirit, this may result in my deliverance from, from prison, from my deliverance from this circumstance I'm in. It could also be, he could be referring to his impending trial that was to come. And he's prayerfully and um, confidently, confidently looking ahead that God is going to um, answer their prayers and he will be his, uh, vindicated at his trial. We're not sure exactly um, how he's, um, again, based on the, the, the conflict that he's feeling and the, um, how he's torn, exactly what uh, he's referring to here. I think Probably he's talking about being delivered from prison. And there's some strong evidence that there is a fourth missionary journey where Paul is able to return to them again. By the way, who are these people? The church, if you didn't catch the beginning of this study, the, the, the church in Philippi, Paul was there in Acts 16 10 years ago. And he established a very close relationship with this church. He visited them twice five years later. So he was there ten years ago in planning the church. He visited two time, twice five years ago. Now here we are five years later and he's in a Roman prison and writing to his friends, his beloved church family in the church of Philippi. You, you can see the emotion here back in chapter 1 verse 8. For God is my witness how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Then he goes on in verse 20, as I read, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I should not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ shall even now as always, and I think this is his mission statement in life, Christ shall be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And everything Paul did is focused around this one objective of magnifying, exalting Jesus Christ. This is the Greek word megaluno. I don't know if you know this or not, but I know a little Greek. He's my tailor. I went to him one day and I said, a uh, little, little Greek guy, I said, uh, I took my pants about a week ago and I said, Aripides. And he said, that's okay. I'm into these. I, my wife told me that was corny. I'm sorry. She, she told me not to do that, but... The Greek word megaluno. Are you familiar with mega? What does mega mean? Yeah, big, big, megaluno. In the Greek, this can be translated to make great, to magnify, to enlarge. Again, what's the context? That Christ will be exalted, that Christ will be magnified. 
mega luno, that Christ will be made great, will be magnified, will it be enlarged through my life, that I will decrease so that Christ can increase. It could be translated to make conspicuous, to esteem highly, to extol, to laud, to celebrate the name of Christ. That Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. That He be magnified and lifted up by my life. That Jesus Christ would get the glory and praise. We had a time of worship this morning. What's the purpose of worship? It's to focus our eyes on God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Spirit, and get our eyes off of ourselves, and to praise Him for who He is and what He's done. And our lives are to give praise to God. We are Christians, little Christ. And by Christ living His life through us and in us and through us, our lives are to praise God and to cast light on Him and to magnify Jesus Christ. Our marriages are to magnify Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of marriage. Two have become one so that a husband can love his wife as Christ loves the church. And he can lead her and wash her feet and pour himself into her. And the wife can respond to his leadership and respect him and follow him. A picture of the church in responding to Christ. As Blake mentioned, Lance and Rhonda are going to be teaching a great study on love and respect. Check that out today at 11 o'clock. Come and join them. Does my marriage exalt Christ and lift up the name of Christ? Make Him big. Magnify Him. How I do my work in the workplace. Do I magnify and laud and explain the person of Christ by doing my work heartily unto the Lord? By how I study at school. Am I exalting Christ? Am I lifting Him up? Am I bearing testimony to Jesus Christ by the way in which I I do my studies? Do you see what Paul's saying? No matter what I do, whether I live or I die, I'm here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. To live is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. To die. It's it's even better. It's gain. Because I'm with Christ. And I spend eternity in worshiping and magnifying and exalting the name of Jesus Christ. The English word exalted in Webster goes along with this of magnifying and exalting. First, to raise in rank, power, and character. Second, to elevate by praise or estimation. Third, to enhance the activity of. To intensify. Isn't that good? And that's what our lives to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Have you ever read My Utmost for His Highest? Are you familiar with that devotional? It's my favorite devotional. My Utmost for His Highest. It's a classic Oswald Chambers wrote, My utmost for His highest. Do you know where he gets that? It's from this verse. 
that whether by life or by death, I am to exalt Jesus Christ. I'm to give my utmost for His highest. That's why I'm here. January 1, my utmost for His highest. He goes on to talk about that. In Luke 1.46, we see this word exalting. Megaluno. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. Hey, you guys, you deacons, I just went out of, uh, I told you guys to start communion when I said my utmost first highest. I just threw that in. Sorry. That's coming at the end. So sit down for a minute. I got ahead of myself. I do that all the time. So just relax. We're going to have communion in a minute. I told them my signal was when I said my utmost first highest. So I got a little carried away there. Do you ever do that, Blake? Okay, he does it too. Luke 1.46. Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. This is when Mary had learned that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And she's praising the God and she's magnifying Him and exalting Him. My soul exalts the Lord. Luke 9.43, and they were all amazed at the greatness, at the magnificence of God. And that's what Paul is saying. My life, whether I live or die, my life is to exalt Him, make Him great, to magnify Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. That's my purpose. Magnifying Christ by living intentionally. I want to pull out a few Bullet points for us as we think about how do we practically do this? How do we magnify Christ by living intentionally with our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ? First, we magnify Christ by living confidently. We see Paul here. His confidence not in himself, but in verse 19, he says, For I know we... See, on down in uh, verse 25, he also uses this phrase, and convinced of this, I know he's decidedly optimistic. And he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. But he's okay with that. He knows that God is in control and he's submitted his life to him. And he's living his life confidently, regardless of what happens. Also, in magnifying Christ, we're to live intentionally through prayer, by living prayerfully. Verse 19, for I know that this shall turn out, his situation, for my deliverance, possibly to be released from prison, possibly to be uh, released um, at his trial, through your prayers. Through your prayers. So he's writing back to the church in Philippi, his family, you know, his homies, he's writing back to them. And he's saying, do you think they pray for me? Do you think Paul, do, you th- do they pray for him? Yeah. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. What Paul is saying is, you have prayed for me and I'm counting on your future prayers. They're going to result in my deliverance. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. People are counting on us to pray. We need to 
confidently and boldly approach the throne of grace and intercede on the behalf of others, intentionally living for Christ because prayer shows our dependence. And I find that is one of the greatest marks of godly saints finishing well, like Dr. Stanley Toussaint at the men's retreat last week, who at 80, you should hear this man pray. I was in a small group with him. By the way, we just got our um, men's retreat topics on, online. If you want to listen to those, go, go online and listen to his messages. We magnify Christ by intentionally praying for others. Blake needs your prayers. Pray for Blake, for his eye. David Siobhan needs your prayers. Lane Cole needs our prayers. Others need our prayers. Pray. Magnify Christ by praying and interceding on behalf of others. Magnify Christ by intentionally living dependently. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision, the the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We magnify Christ by living dependently, being filled with the Holy Spirit. To live is Christ and being dependent on His life. In Colossians 3, Paul would write that Christ is our life. I wrote down, Ross, the, some of the lyrics I was writing as fast as I could when we were worshiping a while ago. A while ago. You alone can satisfy. You're the treasure I found. The meaning of life. My bread of life, you're my provider. You fill my soul with living water. Beneath your wings there is shelter. When I hide, you alone can satisfy. Living our lives dependently on Christ. Not trusting in our own efforts. Paul would go on to write this over in chapter 3. Verse 3, we're the true circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus And put no confidence in the flesh. Living dependently. Next, living eternally. I think that's what he's saying in verses 20 and 21. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, to live as Christ, or for to me, he says, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Living for eternity. Living in this life with eternal lenses. The things we can touch, things we can feel are passing away. This body is going to be gone. This podium is going to be gone. This room is going to be gone someday. The things that last for eternity are the Word of God and the souls of men and women and children That's what we need to be investing our lives in. But Paul is confident. His eternity is secure. And he's able to say to live as Christ, but to die is even better. Because when I die, I'm going to be with Christ. Look down at uh, verse 23. I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Again, the struggle. Having the desire to depart, to... Break camp, that word is used, to a ship being loose from its moorings. I have the desire to depart. And what? What's going to happen when Paul departs? He's got the desire to depart. He's talking about death here. He's not talking about leaving prison. He's got the desire to be with Christ. 
This is a great verse. I get asked a lot by someone who's just lost a loved one. Where are they? What happens to them? Paul says, I have the desire to depart and... Where's he going? To be with Christ. When we recognize that we're sinners and we can't receive, experience a relationship with a holy God who cannot allow sin into his presence... On our own, we can't get there. No matter how hard we try, no matter how many times we go to church, no matter how much money we give away, no matter how many good deeds we do, we can't get there on our own. We need a Savior. And when we place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and receive His free gift of salvation, He breathes life into us. We're adopted into His family, part of the family of God, and our eternity is secure. This body's temporal. We're in an earthly tent. It's going to quit on us someday. One out of one die. Okay? One out of one. That's going to be us someday. Are we prepared to meet our maker? Through Jesus Christ, yes. Because we're going to go be with him and in the presence of Christ throughout eternity. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul also writes, For we walk by faith and not by sight. We're of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body. He's saying, hey, I'm ready to go. Be absent from this earthly tent. And to be at home with the Lord. That's where our home is. That's the theme of this book. Our heavenly, our citizenship is in heaven. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him and to glorify Him and exalt Him and magnify Him. As Paul says, magnify Christ by intentionally living our lives confidently, prayerfully, dependently, eternally, and boldly. I want to go back up in verse 20 and catch this. Paul is concerned that he's not going to be bold. He doesn't want to be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now as always be exalted. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And as Paul is thinking about exalting Christ, the gospel is at the forefront of his mind, sharing the gospel with boldness and, and living for Christ with boldness. This word is used in classical literature, especially in situation, this word boldness, where there are harsh and difficult situations, as Paul was in prison here, wanting to live his life boldly. I kind of think he was, but he's worried. He wants to make sure that they pray for him, that he would be bold. We don't see this uh, explicitly stated in the passage, but the entire passage is undergirded with the issue of submitting to the sovereignty of God. And I believe to truly magnify Christ in whatever circumstance we're in, regardless of whatever He brings our way, we have to do so submitting our will to the Father's will. Submitting our will to His. Paul is saying, you know, whether I live or die, it's up to, it's up to Him. Whatever he leads me to do, 
wherever he leads me to go, I'll follow. He's in control. It's not my call. I must submit my will to his. Last, realistically, by intentionally living our lives, realistically. The realism is, even the Apostle Paul struggled. We all struggle. That's the normal Christian life. Anyone here not struggle? You ever, were, you, were you fed this notion that when you came to Christ, everything was just going to you know, get great and no more problems? We live in a fallen world. That's the reality. But we have Christ to go with us. As Dr. Toussaint said last week, we realize that he wins in the end. And we're with him throughout all eternity. Our eternity is secured through the person of Jesus Christ. But realistically, we struggle. And Paul's worried here that he's going to be put to shame, that I would not be put to shame in anything. He's worried that he's not going to finish well. Any of you struggle here? Do we have any sinners in this group? I sin plenty. My wife would tell you that. I sin plenty. Paul, at the end of his life, referred to himself as the chief of sinners. Realism is the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the more we seek to exalt Him, the more He reveals issues in our own life that we need to deal with. In a moment, we're going to have communion. And uh, yeah, guys, go ahead. Let's let's get ready for that now. Uh, we're going to have communion here in just a moment, and we want to ask God to be preparing our hearts so that we come to Him with clean hands and pure hearts. Um, as we come and, and share communion together. We all struggle. And next week, Paul is going to go on and we're going to look at verse 27 about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We struggle with living in a fallen world. You know, this is not an easy thing to talk about, but in the last 10 days... This, is, this really happened to me. In the last 10 days, my brother's father-in-law died. My sister's father-in-law died. Um, our neighbor across the street had a very serious cancer surgery. Um, I have met with multiple family members who have lost loved ones. I have prayed with others who have learned that they found out they've been diagnosed with cancer. We live in a fallen world. And I'm not saying this passage is saying, yeah, live as Christ, die as, you know, put a band-aid on it. Some of you here this morning are really hurting. Some of you are struggling. And we know that. And God knows that. And as we come to communion and as Ross comes and plays. Ross, why don't you come on, come on up and do that, please? He's going to play for, pray for us. And as the elements are being passed, let's ask God to not only search our hearts, but to ask Him to give us the courage to give to Him whatever it is that we're carrying with us, whatever struggle, whatever issue, whatever fear, whatever worry. Cast our anxiety upon Him because He cares for us and loves us. And let's pray that together 
as the family of God, as the body of Christ, as his church, his bride, together, in communion together, we will exalt him in his name with our lives. We will exalt his name. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who in the upper room gathered his disciples close to him, washed their feet, said a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And he broke bread. served wine and said this is my body which is broken and given to you take and eat let's share the bread together this is my blood given to you. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Jesus, you're the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. We remember. We give you thanks. Jesus, we love you. We need you as we began talking about this morning. Help us this week, Father, to exalt you and to magnify you with our lives, everything we do, everything we say. And when we sin, which we will, let us be quick to confess and repent so that we can walk with you in fellowship and be the fragrant aroma that you've designed us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.